This is Solve It for Kids. Hello, my amazing and curious friends. My name is Jennifer, the Dean of All Things STEM and Steam, and this is Solve It for Kids. The podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists, engineers, and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity, cooperation, and critical thinking. And now please welcome to the show my podcast partner, Galactic Space Geek, Jeff Ganya. Hello, Jennifer, and hello, listeners. Oh my goodness, we get to talk to some people that do really, really fun things, (laughs) I am excited to hear a first-hand example and story about what this experience is like. Oh, me too. This is going to be so much fun. What problem are we solving today? What's it like to fly an airplane across the ocean? What's it like to fly an airplane across the ocean? So I think this is cool because I've flown, you know, as a passenger on planes across the ocean. I've always wondered about that. But I have a feeling our guest is going to talk a little bit about more things than just that. So who is our guest today, Jeff? How can you not love this guest? Our guest today is Cran Middlecoat, self-proclaimed pilot and aerospace nerd. Welcome to the show, Cran. Oh, thank you for having me, team. Really excited to be here. We are excited to be here with you. Now, I have to ask, what is an aerospace nerd? That's me. (laughs) Okay, so an aerospace nerd is me. My dad was a pilot. My granddad was a pilot. I've been around airplanes all my life. I've just, all I've ever wanted to do was fly airplanes. That's awesome. My son's a pilot now. My oh, younger, right. Yeah, my youngest Congrats. son flies a lot of airplanes. I just love being around airplanes, and I love inspiring young people to think about aviation. Okay, so that careers. that's fantastic. So that kind of answers Jennifer's usual first question. Right? Of, yeah, did yeah, yeah. you always know you wanted to be a dot dot dot? You totally did. So I want to jump a little bit into that. Of what is your earliest memory? of being either in a plane or with your dad or grandpa that sort of clicked when you knew you wanted to follow in their footsteps? I think it would have to be, I still remember the very first time I went in an airplane. Wow. Really? I don't remember all of it. I remember little tiny snippets of it. I was about four years old. Okay. I was so short, I couldn't see out the window. So my dad (laughs) came down and he undid my seatbelt so I could stand on the seat and look out the window. Wow. Oh, okay. I still remember that. And I felt totally, totally at home. I felt completely comfortable. And I thought, this wow. is where I belong. Wow. This is where That's I belong. That's amazing and that you knew that that early and you still have that feeling and that memory this long after. Oh, I love it. And just all I ever wanted to do was fly. That's fantastic. So, okay. Moment. So, what would you tell kids today who want to fly? Like, kind of like, what do you have to do to get? To where you are. Most important thing, never ever give up. You just got to be determined. Uh, you can say, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to yes. let anyone tell nice. me I can't. 
That's, That's the great. most important thing. And you know, like anything, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be a teacher, the study, it's going to be challenging and that's it. Right. But you really want to do it and you're determined, that won't be a problem. You'll just do it. That sounds awesome. Okay. Yes. So kids and flying sort of go hand in hand. Yeah. Boys, girls, and, you know, two, three, four-year-olds all the way up into, yeah. you know, middle schoolers and high school. Everybody loves the idea of flying and making things fly. For those kids that really have that passion for the idea that things can fly, whether it's planes or people in them, are there, like, did you read books about flying? Did you do anything different than a normal kid that didn't become a pilot? Well, I was really lucky. I mean, my dad was around and he he ran a business and every Saturday morning I'd go down to the airport with him and just be hanging around airplanes and talking oh, to the pilots. Wow. wow. And okay. So I was really fortunate like that. And so not every young person has that. So I come to school and you can talk to me like that. Oh. That's what I did. But I also, as a little person, I'd build model. I mean, I used to build airplanes out of cardboard boxes. <laughs> yes. Yep. Excellent. That was so cool. And I love doing that. And then I built model airplanes, which really flew. And then okay. I, oh, wow. there was in, in Australia here, we have a thing called the Australian Air League, which is like a, a, a junior air force for little people, like oh, when you're about wow. nine years old. So I was a member okay. of that. Yeah, then flew the model airplanes. But I first had my hands in the controls of an airplane the day I turned eight years old. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Uh, A family friend took me flying for for my birthday, and I first had my hands in the controls when I was eight. I started learning to fly when I was 14, and I had a pilot's license since I was 16. Wow. I used to take my teachers from school flying. Wow. Very cool. That's, that's one way to get extra credit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's a level of trust. I don't know if the teacher, I'd be like, hmm. <laughs> I want to know what was, what's your favorite plane to fly? Do you have one? It depends on what I want to do. So oh. if I'm flying the big jets, like of all the, like I only talk about the airplanes I've actually flown. Right. Okay. Of all the, the big jets I've flown, the Airbus A330 was my favorite. It was a beautiful aeroplane to fly. It could weigh 240 metric ton. Wow. Oh, my goodness. 10 ton just of fuel on board that aeroplane. And it was really nice. So for work, that was a great aeroplane to fly. For fun, I had a little single engine aeroplane I used to blat around with my boys in. And um, (laughs) RV, a Vans RV6A was a lot of fun. Wow. Okay. So... Before we get to our main question, you just said something about the large work plane, the Airbus 330, and you said it was a great airplane to fly. What do you mean by that? How do you, as a pilot, like, can you feel the difference in what it's like to fly different jets? Oh, very much so. So Ah. there's the two main aircraft types. You've got Boeing and Airbus, and there's Embraer, there's a lot more. The two big ones are Airbus and Boeing, and they think very differently. Oh, okay. Airplane. So Airbus is, they call a fly-by-wire airplane, and you got a little side stick. And I remember when I first started flying the Airbus, I thought, oh, this is the closest I'd ever get to being Aladdin on a magic carpet. This thing <laughs> so fun to fly because wow. it wow. heaps of computers, and they did a lot of the work for the pilot, 
And we just had a great time flying that aeroplane. Boeing's a bit different. Oh. You've got a bulky wheel in front of you. I mean, been Boeing are building aeroplanes for like nearly 100 years, actually right. probably over years now. And so they've got a different philosophy. I just liked Airbus because it was new, it was modern, they got modern techniques where they put switches. So it was much, I found it easier to get my head around the Airbus. And that okay. was that was well, okay. So my question is, and the question we we're talking about. So what's what's it like to fly an airplane across the ocean? Because I've I've always wondered that. Like I've been on flight. I've been lucky enough to go to Europe and to go to Hawaii and from the U.S. And I've always wondered, kind of like, is it weird? I mean, I know we have GPS now, right? But before that, how did you know where you were going across the ocean and all of these kind of things? And and I mean, radar and all that stuff. How does that well, work? Before GPS and before, there's another thing called INS, which is inertial navigation system. Yes. We have that as well. So say, for instance, all the satellites just stop working, we right. still know where we are. So we've got multiple, it's really, we've got backups for the backups. Yes. What we call redundancies. So mm-hmm. things can go and we're still doing okay. Before that, you actually had a person in the aeroplane called the navigator. Ah, and he had a big table, and he also had a window that was in the roof. Oh, a win- the roof yeah. of the area, and he'd have an a instrument called a sextant, and oh. he would measure the position of the stars or the sun, whether he's flying in day or night, and they could do all these calculations, these mathematical formulas, and then they'd be able to plot on a map where they were. Wow! And so, yeah, before we had all the modern navigation aids that used to be a human being who was called the navigator. And wow. there we were. I know we have those on ships, I guess. And I know that they had them on planes, but I never thought about like flying across the ocean and like, cause you don't have points of, you know, on the ground to see. It's just a patch of ocean wherever you look. That's right. right. Um, you fly via islands to go and get your position fixed. But there's oh. a ocean between those islands especially in the pacific that's a lot <laughs> of the ocean it oh, really yeah. is okay so do you remember and can you describe a little bit if you do your first time flying that far across an ocean were you nervous no well it was during my training so i didn't have time to get nervous <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay I was working pretty hard keeping up with everything so the first time i flew what we call oceanic was only between okay. Australia and New Zealand at four hours, but we were, we were what we call ETOPS or extended twin engine overwater operations. That's a fancy acronym. Okay. What we just have to know is we put in points. So when we get to this point, right, if something happens, we're going to go to Sydney. And then if something happens, right, at this point, now we're going to go to Auckland. So we've already got oh. it, already have a plan. Gotcha. If we have a malfunction, if an engine winds down or something like that, we know exactly where we're going. Or if a passenger gets sick, and sometimes that does happen, and they have to get to the right. hospital, we know we already have it in our minds, right? Right for the time being, until we get to this point, we're going to Cairns, or after that, we're right. going to, and that's where. So we always are well planned, and we know exactly what we're, where we're going to go if something happens. That makes sense, and is probably a very Good thing to do, especially when you're <laughs> over the ocean. It's not like you can just, you know, call the nearest airport and land immediately, right? 
Well, it is the nearest airport, and yes, we would go well, there immediately. It's going to be a while before on the ground. Well, yes, that's that's what I mean. It's not going to be right away, right? It's not like you're in the Navy and you say, oh, there's an aircraft carrier off you like a cup of tea. I'm going to go. <laughs> not like that. <laughs> so speaking of that, I feel like a cup of tea. We're talking mm. about flying over the ocean, and you just mentioned a quick hop from Australia to New Zealand, and that's a four-hour flight. That's still a long time. What are pilots doing up in that cockpit during all that time that the rest of us don't know? A lot of the time on a good day when the weather's good, you just monitor. You uh, monitor okay. and you start to make sure you, you want to see if something is starting to happen before it becomes a problem. So if oh, a okay. temperature is starting to get a little bit high or an oil pressure starting to drop a little bit, you think, right, I'm going to keep an eye on that. And then you've already got in your head where you're going to go if something happens. So you're monitoring, a lot of monitoring. Some days the weather's quite bad and you've right. got to right. that occurring, you've got to avoid the bad storms because the passengers down in the back don't want to be thrown all over the place. We want to <laughs> sure. And sometimes we just have to turn the seatbelt sign on, go through the bumps and then get through the other side. So you've got to manage where you're going. And on days when it's a beautiful day, everything's going fine, I'd study. Oh, oh. So I had my iPad and I would get my iPad out and I wrote myself in practice exams. So I'd write questions about, okay, what's the maximum downwind component and all these things which you've got to know off the top of your head. I'd practice those and I'd study. I use time really efficiently to study. I love it. I think we're seeing behind the curtain of that aerospace nerd. (laughs) Serious nerd here. Serious. No, I think that's really cool. So, and some of these flights too, so there are multiple pilots because sometimes are you on like when you do the whole flight for like, like I've flown from Atlanta to say Honolulu, that's 10 hours. Does that mean there's multiple pilots and some of you are on while others are resting? How does that work? Well, it depends on how long the flight is and up to 10 hours, you can do it with two pilots. Oh. Oh. Well, that's a long time. It so is. we call controlled rest. We do okay. controlled rest. So we call a cabin crew and we say, okay, we're going to have a snooze up here. Obviously, not both pilots. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Anyway, and so one of us will have a will just recline the seat, close our eyes, and just have a bit of a break. Every half an hour, we call the cabin crew to say, yep, we're all good. And if we don't call the cabin crew, the cabin crew calls the flight deck. Ah, okay. All the time. On flights over 10 hours, we'd have three pilots. And then that depends on the company. Like, And then really long flights, they might have four. Some companies have two complete crews, one for departure, one for arrivals. So, And when you've got more than two pilots, one of us can go into crew rest down in the cabin. We used to have a business class seat buttoned off just for the crew. Right. have a designated, some airlines have a crew rest facility built into the actual aeroplane. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that sometimes when I've been on the long flights, I'll see the pilots kind of change out. Like they, one comes and rests for a while and, you know, the business class or the first class pod or whatever, and then they switch out. But I always, I don't know. I always just want, I'm a curious person clearly, which is why we have this podcast. And I was just like, I wonder what's going on and how does this all work? So this has been really fun for me to learn about all this. Very cool. 
Very cool indeed. So while we're talking about flying large planes over the ocean, are there differences to flying long distances over water, over the ocean, versus flying over a large section of land like America or Australia? With, you know, we have our listeners get a lot of different types of science. We just had a recent scientist talking about atmospheric rivers. Is it different flying over a large body of water than it is over land? Well, generally, when you're going over land, you've got a lot more options to divert if you have to get on the ground. Mm. Uh, Okay. Makes sense. Over the United States, you've got many, many airports, a lot more than Australia. I mean, I go over in the center of Australia, over the Australian outback, and it is just there's not much there at all. <laughs> and hey. so generally you've got more options to divert to if something does go wrong. When you're flying over water, there you've got to carry extra fuel because if you do have to divert, you've okay. got to be, so I fly an airplane with two engines. Mm-hmm. If one of the engines stops, then we have to slow down. We've got to descend and then we slow down. We've got to go to single engine cruise speed. And so we can't be more than three hours at single engine cruise speed from an adequate airport. Oh, okay. That's what and so, well, I'm going between Australia and Hawaii. The adequate might be Suva in Fiji. Right. And ah, okay. Remember, that's at with one engine not working. That's right. with one engine. You've got to slow down. So the airplane will fly fine on one engine, no problem at all. But you do have to be lower and a little bit slower as well. So you've got to be thinking a bit more because your options over water, you have less of them. Mm, gotcha. And I had never thought about the requirements needed being three hours away. Obviously, that sort of dictates the flight path that you can follow. Yeah, exactly. Because you might have to, so rather than going in a dead straight line, you might have to right. be over towards, like, say, Fiji or right. um, the way over to, to the likes of Honolulu. Makes total sense. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I just think, I mean, it's amazing now, of course, how fast planes go and how fast we can travel and how luxurious, although some people might disagree, depending on where you are in the plane. (laughs) Right. But I mean, still now we it's really funny because my husband kind of laughs at me because I've gotten used to when I get on a plane, I want to watch TV. I was like, how come there's no TV screen on my seat in front of me? (laughs) Well, that's another interesting thing because everyone has their phone or their device and most of the airplanes now have Wi-Fi. Yes. Right. You have your own device. Now, just because you put a screen in an airplane, that's another thing the airline has to pay for and maintain. Yeah. And plus it adds weight to the airplane. Sure. And flying you don't want to have carrying around dead weight exactly everyone's by the time they put in all the seats with the screens and the wires and and everything like that that adds weight to the airplane and so if everyone just walks on board you're going to have your phone or your device with you anyway yes Uh, if you're carrying that that's less that has to be managed by the airline and plus you get to watch whatever you want if you want to i don't know what your particular movie and then <laughs> right maybe, maybe this podcast isn't on united airlines but, <laughs> but it, it should be right exactly <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i love it so before jen gets us to the end i gotta ask something i start it was one of the first questions i thought of when i knew what we were going to be talking about as you've been flying these 
giant planes over the ocean. Is there something that you can remember seeing down in the ocean that was really Ooh. cool? Like, did you see a cruise ship, like, way out with nothing else around? A pod of uh, whales. A pod, yeah. What's the coolest thing you remember seeing out in the ocean? Well, I mean, I've flown over a lot of water. I used to fly over out in Western Australia, <laughs> a park called the Kimberley, and I had passengers spot crocodiles as I was flying over the... Wow, uh, wow. So it wasn't exactly over water, but, yeah, I had passengers spot crocodiles. I remember coming back from Hawaii back to Sydney. There's okay. You fly... And it is just from horizon to horizon, there's this big length of reef. It wow. just spans. No. Horizon. And I'm not sure if it's on a tectonic plate or something like that, which creates it. I don't know the geology behind it. But, yeah, you can look from one horizon all the way over to the other. Wow. And you see reef going all the way across. That's pretty cool. I remember one night I was coming into land at a place called Dempasar in Bali. And I landed at six minutes to midnight on New Year's Eve. Wow. And we were 200 miles out and I could see fireworks and strobe lights. The whole island was going absolutely berserk. Wow. And so that was pretty cool. I flew past Guam on New Year's Eve one night and I was looking down. The captain was having uh, controlled rest, so I was managing the flight. And I looked down, going past Guam on my right-hand side, and I was watching all the fireworks. (laughs) No, from over top. What yeah. a cool view. That is a cool view. I couldn't hear the bangs. I could only see the light. So, yeah. Wow. Very That's so cool. Fun. That's so fun. So now, aside from flying, you go out and talk to schools and you get kids excited about aviation and other things. So tell us a little bit about that, Cran. I love because I try to be that person I wish I had when I was ah, yes. at school. Because aviation is not very well understood by many people. And teachers, when they get a nerd like me, who is just, <laughs> they find it very difficult to be able to relate to them. My teachers, I'm sure, did the best job they could. But so yes. I love being that person who goes to school and sees that young young man or woman who have that drive, and I like to be able to help them that way. So that's what I really like doing. And I'm very passionate about getting young women interested in flying. I've been flying aeroplanes since I was 14. So that's 29 years I've had dates in my logbook. And I have flown, so 29 years, nearly 9,000 hours flying. Wow. I've flown with nine female captains. Wow, that's it? Nine, single digits. In 30 years and nearly 9,000 hours flying, I've only flown with nine female captains. That's got to change. That's ridiculous. There is absolutely no reason why girls can't be sitting up the front of F-18 Super Hornets or C-17 Globemasters or yes. Airbus. And there's no reason whatsoever. I've flown with one of the lady captains. I've flown. She was a mum. She was yes. an airline. Okay. So it can be done. There's yes. no reason you know, why, why girls can't be pilots. My friend Naomi, she's an air traffic controller and aircraft engineers. And another friend of mine, Abby, she's learning to be an aircraft engineer with Qantas. And so there's no reason why girls can't be in any facet of aviation. And the important thing is you just have to believe in yourself. Yes. That's the important thing. Don't give up. Believe in yourself. So you are also an aerospace STEM educator, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what we're talking about here. Is there something that you have found in your experience thus far that has sort of helped spark that interest in 
those young women and all young people to sort of get that fire ignited for aviation and flying? The important thing is Google doesn't have all the answers. (laughs) Google doesn't have all the answers. Try things with your hands. Try building, start with a paper aeroplane. I like it. All right. And there's so many of those now. Yeah. I mean, you can build model aeroplanes. Like I know it's the AMA in the United States is a, yes, they've got a junior flyers group. Go out to your local airport and find a flying school and just go and talk to the Mm -hmm. instructor. Right. They won't charge you any money to go out and have a look at an aeroplane and sit in an aeroplane. That's fine. They well, they shouldn't be charging you for that. <laughs> and they start spinning that big fan at the front. That's when it starts to cost money. But go out and have a look at it and see how you right. feel. And you can do trial introductory flights. And you, I'm not like driving a car. I'm not sure what it's like in the US, but in Australia, you have to be 16 before you can get behind the wheel of a car. All mm-hmm. right. I was eight when I got behind the controls of an aeroplane. <laughs> and I used to take my boys flying, and they used to have a booster seat so they could see out the window. Nice. And so there's no minimum age you can start learning to fly. Go out and have a go and see if it's something you like doing. And I like that. Ask, and write all your questions down. Yes. So have your questions to go and ask rather than, okay, do you have any questions? You think, um, I <laughs> have your questions written down first. Yes. And that you can then, as you're asking those questions and getting your answers, you might be able to think of more of them. And so, yeah, go out to a flying school or find an association like the AMA, National Association of Rocketry, Tripoli Rocketry. They're all, and you might find that engineering is your your passion. Yeah. And so, well, not right. just, just flying. Yeah, maybe you'll want to build airplanes or something like that. Design airplanes, all of those different kind of cool things. You know, I'm a very big advocate of getting out and doing things, having kids watch science and engineering as it happens. You know, that's what it's all about. So now I'm curious to see what your challenge for our listeners will be, Cran. Oh, goodness gracious, mate. Okay. What I would really like to do for some of your listeners is if they're interested, I'd like them to, can you include my email address? We can put it on the website. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'll give you my email address. And if any of your listeners have whatever questions they want, they can send me that. But what I'd really like is for them to go to the airport and get a photo in front of the airplane. Oh, I like it. And yeah, then I've got I've got some friends. So I guess you've got listeners all over the world, haven't you? We do, yes. So yeah, but that's the beauty of email. You can send me that. And then maybe if there's someone who really wants to talk, we could organize another Zoom conference like this. And that, I'm happy to talk with them. That would be sounds a- great. Tell me why you really want to be a pilot or an engineer or an air traffic controller or a ground manager or whatever mm-hmm. the you tell me why you really want to do that and send me a photo of you in front of an aeroplane or something you really want to do and then we'll get together and we'll have another Zoom conference with yeah, Jen and Jeff, Cran and whoever wants to join. <laughs> I, I like think, it. 
I like it. I think that would be fun. Now I'm thinking, what plane would I be in front of? I have to say, I had an opportunity when I was at the Naval Academy. I spent a month on an aircraft carrier, the USS Independence. So for me, the coolest plane ever is the F-14. Sorry. Oh, it just it just is. It's just a classic airplane. Right. Right. I'm just, I, we got to watch them. It was during carrier qual. So we got to watch them from up above, but one day, one night, they took us out on the deck. There was a group of us and, you know, it was literally like, stand there. Don't move a muscle. Don't, (laughs) if you move, you're off the deck. And we got to be like within 10, 15, whatever it is, a very short distance from where these planes, the F-14s were taking off and landing. And it was the most incredible experience ever. So That's really cool. Now I just have to go find an F-14 and take a picture next to it and send it to you. None of them in Australia. (laughs) It doesn't have to be a fancy jet. could just be the little trainer airplanes. It could be a mail airplane. It could be a... A helicopter, you go for a joyride over the Grand Canyon or That's something. True. Yeah, you might want to fly. Like I have flown helicopters. I'm not licensed to fly them, but maybe you want to be a helicopter pilot in the military or rescue helicopter pilot or something like that. Yeah, yeah. right. That's all. Helicopters are also really cool. Yes, I love your excitement and passion for this, Grant. Oh, I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are an aerospace nerd, right? Yes. Serious nerds. Serious nerds. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for being on Solve for Kids, Cran. Thank you, Cran. My pleasure, guys. All you young people, you just go out there and be the best you you possibly can be, okay? It's funny how an experience can be so different from just, you know, 30 or 50 feet away. The pilots at the front of the plane versus the passengers that are in the back of the plane along for the ride. What a cool experience and how much more information I'm going to be thinking about the next time I hop on a plane and what those pilots are working on up there because that's not stuff I was ever thinking about before. (laughs) Me either. But what I loved is how Cran is so excited about his job. He loves what he does. He loves flying planes. And now he actually is stepping into the realm of talking about being a STEM enthusiast and getting kids excited about becoming pilots and all of those things too. So there's so much more to just being a pilot to Cran. Isn't that so cool? Absolutely. It is. We've had a lot of guests that have that passion to also share what they do. Right. Some of them aren't already doing it. Cran is one of those that is already doing it. And just like us, he's having so much fun doing it. And that challenge, simple, yet not so simple. (laughs) Fran wants you to email him a photo of you in front of an airplane. Now, if you go to the airport because your family's traveling for something, great. Absolutely do that. I like Frontier. They've got animals on their planes. Southwest has those bright colors. That's pretty cool. But if you're not going to the airport, I think we could also add, kids, you guys are good at selfies. Turn that camera around. You see a plane going overhead. Get both yourself and the plane in the picture and let's email those to Cran as well. 
Yeah, that sounds great. Or if you if you don't want to email him to him, which is we'll put his email on our website, uh, solveitforkids.com. You can always just tag us on Absolutely. our social media. We are at Kids Solve at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we will make sure that we tag Cran as well. But I thought that was really cool that he's excited to see how much of you, our listeners, are interested in planes and then kind of like what kind of planes you end up picking to have your photo with. Absolutely. Keep thinking about the sky. Keep thinking beyond your own experience and what others might be having as well, because that could be your experience next. Until next time, you'll hear Jen and Jeff on Solve It for Kids. Kids.